0: Hello, this is Key Ideas, and I'm your host, Leela Viss. This podcast contemplates the rhythm of life as a piano teacher and music maker. Through illuminating interviews and transparent reflections, you'll feel validated, encouraged, and empowered. This is episode number 65, which is part two of my conversation with good friend and colleague, Emily McGree. Perhaps you've heard the term neurodivergent, but aren't sure what it means. Or maybe you've observed behaviors in students that indicate that they may learn differently, but you can't target how to guide them. Or perhaps you are in need of resources for how to help students with anxiety. This episode is for you. But first, make sure to back up to episode number 64 for part one of this conversation so you don't miss a thing. Emily has so much to share, and you will find her insight and advice incredibly valuable as you teach privately or in groups. In this episode, we continue our discussion on how to respond to a child who is disrupting the class and how to talk with parents about their child who is showing behaviors that may indicate unique patterns in learning. We cover how to approach neurodivergent behaviors in group situations too and focus in on students who exhibit anxiety. Again, this episode is packed with insightful tips, so let's jump right back into the conversation go a little bit into the group setting. Yep. Because you teach a lot of groups and you know, it would be so nice if everyone was compliant and followed all the rules, <laughs> but that just doesn't happen, right? And yeah. that's that's we're human beings, so that's going to that is going to happen, but when we build this sensitivity towards neurodiversity, how do we how do we be in charge of a group and yeah. still address the needs of these these people
1: well i think that there's a lot of things that you can do and i think it's going to vary widely depending on on the students that you have in the classroom um you might have some who have some pre- pretty specific sensory avoidance or sensory-seeking uh, behaviors. Um, so if you're noticing that, that you've got some sensory seekers, they're needing some extra input in order for them to be able to calm down and focus. There's some very simple things that you can do, like putting um, those TheraBand exercise things around the, the legs of the, the um, bench so that they can kind of fidget with that with their feet as they're learning. They might need to sit on a wobble Hey, wait chair. a minute.
0: Yep. that's gonna drive me nuts but okay yeah
1: <laughs> we have to be flexible right? i know i know yes
0: that's where i'm on a little bit on the other side of things but yes keep going Yes, sorry um you know that might
1: also be done with like maybe there's like a, a chewable uh pencil topper that they've got on their their writing device um you might uh also have some sensory avoiders in the room where you, you've got to be really conscious about. You know, are they close to the window? Can they hear a car going outside uh, on on the street? Is the the light buzzing and making a you know a sound? Um, are they sitting next to a kid who is is kind of on the noisier side? Um, you know, and, and some students even need to to wear some noise canceling headphones too if they're in a, a larger group activity. Hopefully, that's something that the parent will tell you because typically that's in an IEP or a five or for the student, um, but but making accommodations as we can in order to make the classroom a, a friendly environment. It might mean no candles. It might mean we're really careful about snacks that we might give. It might mean that we've got to be conscious about the type of light that's in the room. Um, you know, all, all of those, we got to kind of go through the senses that, that we take for granted if we're on the neurotypical side, which, I, I you know, again, I'm not sure any musician really is, but any... <laughs> <laughs> it's you we don't always think about all of those senses and how we're perceiving those. And, and our brains might be processing that in a way where it's not challenging for us, but it might be causing one of our students to totally shut down. So I think being aware of our, our sensory needs in the in the room, because those are pretty easy accommodations we can make without changing the group environment at all. Um, I think another thing that, that's really important is to make sure the routine is known. Um, so especially if you've got some ASD kiddos in the room, um, and, and I think ADHD too, they need, to know where you're going right so so one of the things that we do in our group classes on the board, we will write all of the activities out. So they know exactly Okay, this is what we're starting with this is what we're going to this is coming next like they've got the plan, so they can kind of see and visualize where they are that kind of helps students with anxiety too. Um, they know where they are in the space of the class, and I think that 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 can be really important. Um, we also have to you know, this is something I really struggle with give very specific instructions with as few words as possible uh and and very right yes
0: and very slowly because you and I both like to talk fast so you do
1: yes uh and and that's really important you might find with your with uh ASD kiddos in the room too that, that you need to repeat that uh those instructions um neurodiverse kids sometimes can have a problem or, or struggle with executive functioning as well. So if you are a teacher who is used to giving three and four multi-step directions, they might not be able to follow that. Um, so having a plan in place of either taking the students through one step at a time, writing the multi-steps on the board so they can follow that, be ready to repeat yourself or help them with the that um, executive functioning can be really important too. Um, I think that I'm used to calling this a calm down corner, and I I don't know if there's a better terminology for that. But if you have students who are... you know it's it's too much uh, the you know they're 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 sort of dysregulated Uh, maybe they're overstimulated maybe they've had a really rough day at school who knows what it is and it doesn't really matter what it is but having a space in your classroom where they can go that maybe is a quieter activity so that could be like a composer corner a listening corner Um, maybe they you know they just have a space where they can go and and practice quietly by themselves with headphones on Um, just sort of a safe quiet calm environment uh, for for them to be able to utilize. I know in the in the uh, public schools, there's almost one of those, I think in every classroom until maybe sixth grade. I think most of them have, have a calm down corner, especially for the younger students where they know, okay, this is where I can go. If I start to feel a little out of whack, they don't always know what that is or why, You know, they don't have the language for that yet, but a safe space that they can go. And I think that's an easy thing for us to do in the, the classroom as well.
0: Um, wait great. a minute, Now, sorry and i want to hear what you say next but now the calm down corner you would not use that as a punitive action meeting. no
1: no no, okay. no 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 okay yes. no. okay i think that that's really important as a teacher is that none of these things we talk about as a punishment or a consequence we want students to be able to self-regulate themselves right if we can mm-hmm. help them do that our classroom is going to be much more manageable and productive right so if we can have a space where they can they can do that and they know that they can go to i think that that that's important so um i i at least in my first graders' classroom, that's what they call it the calm down corner. Um, but I think a variety of teachers have different names for that. Um, and you know that can be an important thing to utilize.
0: I'm just going to say that, oh, man, I wish I would have had that little tool (laughs) because there's been some times, especially, you know, maybe, uh, yes, hyper, but also just emotionally really upset. And then you kind of feel like you're in charge of trying to make them feel better. And they probably just need to be left alone for a little bit. Right. That's
1: exactly right. And, And this doesn't, you know, again, some of these things that we're talking about, can can be really beneficial for neurotypical students, right? Yeah. If they again they had a fight with their best friend at school and they're really upset, like who knows what it what it is? It it can be a beneficial thing for I think any student, um, so that that can be a good thing to utilize in the classroom. Um, one of the things that we did during uh, we yeah, I taught a, a summer camp uh, this summer at, at Lamont for our prep students, and we had just like these little uh, bookmarks, composer bookmarks that they could go color and then put together and. And occasionally students would, you know, want to, to sort of detach from the, the noise and the chaos and the, you know, the group environment and just kind of go and, and color for a little while. And that's all they needed. Um, so I, th- I think just kind of having a, a space where that can happen in a productive way that is not punitive. It is not a consequence. It is not as like, OK, you were talking too much. I need you to go over here. It's not that at all. It is it is just a safe space where they can go if they're feeling a little bit out of sync. Um, so that's something that we can do, uh, in movement, right? Mm. Making Mm. sure our bodies are moving, making sure that you're conscious of how many minutes you're spending on each activity. Um, I think with the, you know, the elementary school kiddos, Anything longer than five to six minutes, you've lost them, right? You need to move on. Um, and and the younger kiddos, even less than that. So being aware of that, uh, giving choices throughout the class is important. Um, if you do have some students who are really interested in Star Wars, or they're really interested in whatever whatever their interest is, right? It doesn't have to be an intense special interest. Just whatever their interest is, that you're utilizing that in a way um, that can can make them. Um, kind of plug into the class in a different different level um, and, and want to be a part of it. Um, and I, to me, the, the other thing that I try to always keep in mind as a teacher, and I guess this is in the private space or the, the group, group space, is students who have uh, neurodiverse tendencies um, receive so much criticism throughout the day. Mm. Um, I, there's, you know, I, I've read various research reports that, that say anywhere from 20 to 40 percent more just like critical comments from their teachers, from their parents um, throughout the day than the neurotypical students do. Right. So self-confidence and self-efficacy and self-regulation, all of those things, all of those pieces are generally speaking, a little bit lower for our students who have, you know, any any sort of a neurodiverse tendency. And and when I say that, I'm also talking about kiddos with anxiety. I'm talking about our GT kiddos sometimes, uh, depending on the, the the type that they are, because they um, oftentimes can have anxiety or or that perfectionist mentality, right? So they're only seeing the bad things that they're doing. They're not seeing the good things. Um, so it's important to give constructive praise and that doesn't mean good job that means you held your right hand in the exact place that I was asking you to do like very specific I really liked your staccato in that measure I see you paying attention to this can you help us you know with this next part just being very specific about your comments um and in ways of trying to to build them up, I think is important and and it's a way that we can uh, sort of help them as a teacher.
0: I so agree with that because I love it when people say, "Okay, you know, give me a compliment, but I really like it when they give me a specific. Yeah. What that? What did they really like? That that's much more meaningful to me. And even if I may not be, I may maybe I'm neurotypical, right? I don't know. I I, I would knows, guess right? that I am, but, <laughs> right? But I do appreciate specific yeah. compliments and and comments and praise. And yes, you're right. So, if they're going through this day of getting negative responses, most likely especially after a long day at school, we get them next (laughs) and they're tired. They're probably hungry. And so we're going to get some negative behaviors in classroom. So do you have some tips for us when we know that they could be doing better than what they're doing right now?
1: Yeah. One of the things that I try to be really careful about is reading the room when they walk in, right? As, As teachers, we have to be quick to figure out what headspace they're in right and if i if i sense that we're walking into the room dysregulated right and maybe that's a kiddo who just struggles with transitions maybe they've had a rough day maybe they've gotten too many critiques maybe they had to go to the principal's office who whatever it is right then then i will change my lesson plan and maybe maybe we start with a breathing activity maybe we start with you know um, a a fun movement game maybe we start with you know a question of the day so that they can have a conversation with their other um, classmates and connect in that way Um, it's trying to figure out what's going to make them what makes them pick and what makes them kind of center right and and find their space and be ready to learn because if you jump straight into okay now we're going to learn our c-scale and they're all over the place they're not going to remember what you're saying and they're not going to learn anything from that so sometimes you just got to take a beat and be flexible um and and remember that you know sometimes our goals need to pare down a little bit maybe i wanted to get through you know this technique exercise and this theory exercise and two more repertoire pieces but maybe we don't get there maybe we just get to the point where you know we've learned the first four bars of that that repertoire piece but we've learned a little bit about self-regulation and we've done some movement activities and and that's still success so i think it's, it's a little bit of redefining what success looks like as a teacher too um and and making sure that we're flexible in that that evaluation of the class time and of ourselves.
0: Mm, Such, such good information, because one of my favorite sayings of all times, it's a phrase by David Kessler, and he says, expectations are resentments under construction.
1: (laughs) I love that. Yes.
0: (laughs) And I think that's my problem as a teacher, like, okay, in 30 minutes, we're going to get to this, 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 and this, and this. Um, And, you know, we feel that pressure and like, who is putting this pressure on, you know, like, I look at my, like, where, where am I getting this pressure? And yet I still feel that. So thank you for giving us that opportunity to rethink what we're really giving our students. It's more than just learning the first four bars of a piece.
1: Yeah. I, hmm. I hope that we all kind of, you know, and I struggle with that some days too, but um, it's, we got to have the bigger picture in mind
0: always. Hmm. So can we go just a little bit? Cause you had a really good tip. I remember we were talking about your summer camps that you were holding. And and so I said, okay, so what happens when someone's getting out of line? And I remember you had, you encourage good behavior. That's, that's pretty much what you were doing all the time. Right.
1: Well, I think that that's, um, really important to do. So I guess when I'm saying, you know, make sure that you're giving, um, very specific feedback, you know, positive feedback to students. It's that we we are always reinforcing the positive, um, so that can look different in in whatever studio or classroom environment that you're teaching in. But but maybe it's you know I see you uh, listening over there, so go stick a pom pom in that that jar. I see you you know rewarding what you're seeing and and then you will notice that the other students will catch on to that right well like Mm -hmm. so-and-so got a pom-pom for doing that or a sticker or whatever whatever it is that you're rewarding them with I you know that's going to teach them more about how they need to manage themselves than me saying, "Hey Johnny, don't do that." Right? They're not going to listen to that, but if they if they kind of see the the positive behavior reinforcement, I think that that's a really important thing of classroom management. Telling students no or don't do that or like is is just generally not I mean, of course we have to do that sometimes, right? Of mm-hmm. course that has to happen, but that's not usually the most effective way of classroom management.
0: And neither is using anger. And I remember, you know, finally putting anger away. Like, Okay, well, I know that is not going to help. But I, you know, I see it in others. And when I was mentoring students to young teachers, they tend to use anger and threats. I mean, that's the easy route to go, right? And so it is really retraining our brains as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's not going to get you anywhere, right? That, that's yeah. only going to promote shame in the student, and that's that's they're going to yeah. shut down. They're not going to learn anything, right? That, that's not teaching them anything. So we have to be really careful about how we're providing feedback. And sometimes, you know, you'll have a student who maybe they are a class cloud, or maybe they are just – maybe they're trying to get attention in some way, right? So if you reinforce that behavior by giving it attention – They're just Mm going to do it more, right? Or if they're trying to rile you up and they're trying to see if they can get a reaction out of you and you give them one instead of staying really calm and even keeled and just kind of moving on to the next thing and addressing it, moving on. Like uh, it's, you know, you're going to see those kinds of behaviors persist. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm. So now let's go into, you've been mentioning the word anxiety quite a bit. Yeah. And uh, we've just gone through hopefully we're at the end of the tunnel of a global pandemic and if there was ever going to be a time where we would see students with anxiety it would be now and and it was there before as well right and so is this a symptom from neurodiversity is this a cause of it I mean how do you see it
1: yeah. I mean, I think it can be, you know, a lot of things. And, and you know, earlier in the podcast, you, you asked why I was, you know, got interested in, and, and really that's the answer. Um, when I started, when the pandemic started, right, it, I started really doing a deep dive into, okay, who our students are not okay right now. We're not okay right now, right? What, what, what can I do as their constant? Right, because all of this has changed. All you know, they're learning online. Their parents are probably stressed out. They're not able to see their friends, you know, in the same way that they could before. Um, but I'm able to connect with them. It might be over screen, of course, at the beginning of this. But but I can still connect with them, and I'm, i I can be that that can you know constant force for them. Um, geez, I, I noticed it, and I think in almost every single one of my students, right, they were all stressed. They were all anxious. Um, I think sometimes we can have situational anxiety and I don't know if that's a real term or not. That's just kind of how I think of it. Um, where, you know, we get overly stressed or anxious about something because of what's going on right now. That might not be a student who also has generalized anxiety disorder or, or, uh, you know, a mel- mental health uh, disorder. It could be something that just, you know, is isolated on its, on its own over here or, or COVID caused it or who, who the heck knows. Right. Um, but, The more I started reading about it, the more I noticed that, and and we, at least the research that I read uh, talks about it as a comorbidity of other things, right? So if we have a student who is in the GT world, right, there are, are comorbidities that exist with that. Say that word again. Comorbidities. That's a big word. Can you
0: spell it? No, I'm just kidding.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay, so explain that word, please. <laughs> um, it just means uh things that tend to go along with a disorder. So if we have um you know ASD, there are a variety of other comorbid comorbidities, other disorders that can go with that. So that might be OCD, that might be Tourette's, that might be ADHD, that might be, you know, anxiety, it might be a a whole host of things. And a student can have several of them, it might not just be one or two. Um, But, but GT kids also, you know, tend to have some some comorbidities with that as well. And anxiety is one of them, sensory processing disorder is another. Um, And, you know, I think one of the tricky things about gt kids and and going back to anxiety right is is they're really used to being successful in a lot of things right and they have this perfectionist some of them have this perfectionist mentality right so we always feel bad when we don't do something and that that sort of creates that that icky feeling in ourselves and that that can lead to anxiety as well um so you know i guess that was a, a long answer but but that's where i started doing some more research is when when the pandemic started and and what what can we do um So I had a variety of resources that were really helpful for me. Um, And again, I've got kiddos who struggle with this too. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, there were, there was one podcast in particular that was really helpful for me and it's called Fluster Clucks.
0: I love it. Yes. I've been listening now too. Yes.
1: (laughs) It's um, you know, an interview that happens with Lynn Lyons, who's a psychotherapist and yeah. uh, in, in an author and a bunch of things behind her name, if you, if you read more about her. But, um, one of the things that, that she said, and that we also learned from, uh, you know, a therapist that I was taking one of my kiddos to is that, well, first of all, you know, we've heard the term, like, you got to name it to tame it, right? We've got, we've got to, give it a name and we have to normalize it right so so talking about your own stresses your own anxieties, your own processes through that can be really helpful for students um and then talking about it as this worry part right like oh that's just your worry part showing up um that's your worry part your amygdala is trying to take control of of your body it's putting you in a flight or flight um you know it's trying to teach you that like a bear is running at you a grizzly bear is coming at you and you need to you know so so it it has all of these physical symptoms that come across, right, and and we have to learn how to manage those, right. So, one of those is is a lot of breathing exercises, right. So you can teach students. Um, and hopefully this is something they're getting in, in other areas of their life, too, because we are not their therapists, right? Um, but uh, square breathing, where we're breathing in by four, hold by four, out by four, you know, wait mm-hmm. by four. Um, one of the things that Lynn Lyons talks about in her podcast, too, is mantra breathing. And and this really spoke to me, too, because I think, at least in my experience, kiddos with anxiety tend to have lower self-confidence and self-esteem, Right so if they can breathe in and say i can do this you know or or i you know i did it or or that's my worry part right so so kind of um, teaching them some conse- some some ways to to really manage the symptoms that come from anxiety um that doesn't solve the anxiety, though, right? Like we are we are treating the physical symptoms by breathing. Um, we can do. I don't know if you've ever had students who do like the tapping thing, and that's that's their way to just sort of bring their their body kind of central, you know, kind of ground us again. And, and they might just tap their shoulder for a little while. Or tap they their,
0: themselves will tap their shoulder. Tap if okay. You're feeling
1: anxious or a little bit dysregulated. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had students who um, name the senses. So like five things I can see five things I can hear five things I can smell five things and and go through that Mm. to, to kind of um, help calm them down.
0: So it's Um, distracting their brain almost away from that anxiety, right? it's,
1: It's giving the amygdala we're telling it we're calming down, right? Like this yeah. is not an emergency. We do not need to freak out right now. We don't need to be in fight or flight mode. And and then you can access that pre prefrontal cortex and and, and go through the plans and processes. I think we see this a lot with performance anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. So where um, you know, students will will really get activated, obviously. We all get nervous then and and, and uncomfortable in those situations, right? Um but we also have to be doing things prior to that that performance experience to set them up for success too so um that might be um some visualization exercises uh one of the things in in a book i think i think this is from um smart kids worry i really like that book too where where they talk about an i did it list and and having students Mm -hmm. compile a list of things that they, um, they did, right? Like, I, I got up on stage and I played for this. I, I you know, I, I was able to learn this piece. I could, mem- you know, just a, a list of things, of, of accomplishments that they saw in themselves to kind of go back to that and say, oh, no, I can do this. This is just my worry part coming through. Um, it's trying to freak me out. It's trying to take control. We're going to put it over here.
0: Hey, we'll get right back to the conversation, but I want to make sure you know about some of the music I use to immediately engage students, especially those students who learn differently. It's important to me that these pieces be fun to play and easily taught by rote, so the student goes home excited about playing a cool piece. Composer Wendy Stevens offers a vast selection of my all-time favorite rote and reading pieces. I know that if you try just one piece, you'll see why her music is known as Music Kids Love. So I'm excited that Wendy is offering to give any Key Ideas listener a popular, big-sounding elementary piece called The Bold Escape for free. It's one that can be introduced through rote teaching if you prefer. Just put the piece in your cart and enter the coupon code Ideas. that's K-E-Y-I-D-E-A-S, all one word. Then hit checkout and it's yours to use over and over again. I think you and your students will love it. Look for a link to your studio license of the Bold Escape in the show notes. Now back to my chat with Emily.
1: Um, and that, that can be really, you know, important too.
0: So. I've given my anxiety and fear a name names. Yeah. <laughs> <think that> <laughs> and then (laughs) fear is Frida. And that helped me. And I might've even gotten that from that podcast, but to your point about anxiety, I, you know, it really hit my prefrontal cortex (laughs) when I learned the definition of anxiety and anxiety is worrying about what could happen. Right. Like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's why, like, I have now decided not to use my Bluetooth pedal very much because it has not been my friend on occasion and has really messed things up for me. And so I, I, it's my front of me right now. And, but I've taken it out of the equation. Like, you know what? I do not need the stress of making sure that that thing works. And it's usually operator error. I really, it's me to blame, but it really has messed with me in a lot of times where, okay, I'm just putting that away for right now. But that helps me to think about, oh, you know what? I'm just worried about what could happen. Yeah. And I prepared well. I have prepared. Well, I have prepared. Well, you know, like, those are the things that I tell yeah, myself contras, and then right? yes.
1: important. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that the other thing is, you know, I, I, I thought a lot more about my parenting too, as, as, as my kiddos um, kind of struggled with this and uh, you know, of course I have tendencies of that as well. Cause it's all genetic, right? We, we don't want to pass these things down to our kids, but we do. Oh, but we do. Uh, <laughs> So, so there's that, but um you know, it's it's also providing spaces for them to practice overcoming their anxiety, too. Um, something happened with my, my four-year-old. We took, we took a plane ride. Um, it was the first plane ride we had been on since COVID, so the first one that he really remembered, right? And he had a total anxiety breakdown in the middle of that plane ride because he was convinced the plane wing was going to come off, right? Oh, no. Um, he, he was terrified of this. And I was like, okay, it's so exactly what you're saying. Like he, he was worried about something that could happen, right? And it, he could just not calm himself down. Um, so my response was apparent was like, okay, well, we're not going to take a plane ride for a while. We're going to, you know, like let him grow up a little bit or we're going to teach him some skills or we're going to walk through, you know. But that's not going to we... help you in the moment. So <laughs> no, instead reframing that. Okay. Okay. Well, how can we practice this in a way that seems not so scary? Maybe it's a shorter flight, right? So we're going to take just a two hour flight instead of a five-hour flight we're going to make sure that we read a lot of books about how planes work we're going to talk about our worry in advance of that and say like okay now we're going to expect this to come up we're going to expect to be concerned about this so let's name it and and walk through what we can do when that does show up um we're going to surround it with like okay we're going to fly to a place where people are going to Up from the airport that you know and love, so it's something to to look forward to, Um, and just kind of presenting it around a um, you know a nice space. And I think that we can do that for students with performance anxiety or other types of anxiety too, right? So okay, well, how can we provide a place for them to practice that anxiety, uh, or working through that anxiety, right? That plan that they have around that anxiety in a you know, sort of a stair step way instead of just throwing them on that big huge stage with five hundred people looking at them, right? Like what what are the things that we can do to make that easier, right? And then planning for that when it does happen of like, okay, well I know that I'm gonna use my my big belly breathing or whatever style of breathing they, they I, I know I'm gonna, you know, do X, Y, or Z. And then, you know, I'm going to start thinking about my, my plan that I've got in my head of like, okay, this is what I'm going to think about through my piece. I'm going to, you know, and then section A, I'm going to really focus on this and section B, I'm going to, you know, so they've got a plan in place and they can, they can really utilize that once they get there. But, you know, it's different for every student, right. And every adult, and we all have our own experiences with that. And I think, you know, when we were growing up, it it was just like, well, don't worry. (laughs) Stop it. That's not going to happen. You know, like that, that's not going to Thing, yeah. right so yeah. what, what you know don't say that right it's 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 not going to be helpful we've got to find some helpful ways to to help them cope around that and I think especially because of COVID and you know other things that may have happened in communities at least around where I live or or wherever you know you live or other teachers there. There are, are faster triggers right now, right? There's less bandwidth um, for students to kind of process through things and uh, and those triggers might be a little bit stronger right now. So we've got to be ready to help, I think.
0: Now Emily, you've said a lot of wise things, but we're all still wondering what happened on that flight? How did you calm down that little four-year-old? Because, okay, you, you you had a lot of, that was a learning moment for you. Okay, oh, I, okay, but what did you do in the moment? Did you have bubble gum? Did you have Benadryl? Did you have- uh,
1: <laughs> I tried everything in my back. I can tell you that, and nothing worked, right? Because we weren't able to address what was really going on with him. So now we've got a plan of like, okay, we can we can go through this. Um, One of the things that, uh, you know, again, uh, one of the therapists that I have have done a lot of talking to about anxiety said uh, with kiddos who have anxiety disorders, right, um, is that you know, I spend a lot of time with parent like, okay, well, you're worried about this. So I'm going to go address this over here. So I'm, g- I'm going to address the plane scenario and I'm going to have a plan for that. Right. But kids with anxiety or adults with anxiety, that anxiety is going to move. Right. So if we keep only trying to fix the, the individual circumstance, it's like we're playing whack-a-mole all the time. Right. Like, okay, we're going to fix it there and then we're going to fix it over mm-hmm. here. And then like, you know, but, but it's just going to keep moving until we really teach some coping mechanisms around how to deal with that worry part we all have it. It's stronger in some of us than others, but we've got to, we've got to really address and and teach skills around how to, how to manage that.
0: And it's really comes down to self-awareness when you're, uh, when you know you're at a spot, a place that's not good. What is your coping mechanism, right? So that's what you're trying to give your son is some tools For, and give yourself obviously some tools as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh. We after that. But, yeah. oh <laughs> I know. Yeah. In a plane, you're stuck. You can. You're so stuck. You're stuck,
1: right? Oh. It
0: was amazing. Well, there. we we lost a pacifier in the plane, Ooh. and that was a lesson you take. A pack of pacifiers, <laughs> at least a dozen, but I know it's, it's a really hard thing as a parent. I always just, I don't know, we're going on a tangent here, but I always just ache for parents who have unhappy children in a plane because it is a really hard thing. So I hope you came out of it okay.
1: <laughs> and I think I learned, too, how to manage myself in those scenarios mm. as well of, like, how, you know, okay, I got to stay calm because if I start freaking out, like, I'm just, you know, and as teachers, too, when our when our students start spiraling, we can't go with them because then how are we going to help them regulate? Like, we can't. So we need to make sure that we stay calm and, and, and just... Um, Recognize that it's not about us either. Like we're we're there to just kind of help help them uh, learn how to to regulate.
0: There's been plenty of times where I just really wanted to hug the mom or the dad after the flight. Like you did well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, because, because it is so hard.
1: Like angry, right? Oh. Of like, ah, oh, you got to make your kid stop crying. Yeah, I was right. like. Trust me, if I could right now, like he's miserable, I'm miserable, I feel awful. Like there are all of these things that happen, right? So maybe be kind.
0: Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, yes, and be kind to parents who are parenting those children, right? It's not an easy thing.
1: Yeah, it's not an easy thing. Um, it's not an easy thing if kids just have episodes, right? Like we, we do a lot of talking about neurodiversities, right? But, but we might have, you know five other neurotypical kids in our classroom that just struggle with with a couple of things right now. Maybe it's a growth spurt. Maybe it's, you know, they're trying to learn something new at school and that's frustrating. Maybe, you know, who knows what it is. Um, but I think teachers need to be more prepared to handle some, some different neurodiversities along the way, whatever that means. Like, if, if you consider anxiety to be neurodiverse or not, you know, that's that's your own prerogative. But um, we need to at least be aware of what's out there and what the resources are. And it's kind of, what the proper language is too. Like I've learned a lot about, okay, what is the actual ASD diagnosis? What is ADHD, you know, like what what are these things? Cause I I know a
0: lot. Okay, ASD, you've said that a lot. Let's just make that clear. What does that mean?
1: So that's autism spectrum disorder. Okay, autism spectrum disorder. Now we used to talk about Asperger's or high functioning, low functioning, those kinds of things. Those are not um, proper diagnoses anymore, so if you're talking to a parent, you're not going to hear that language. It used to be that Asperger's, or kids with Asperger's, um, were considered a little bit more high-functioning or teachable right um and that that sort of came from the the guy who who coined that term so so it has this sort of negative connotation in the in the ASD community right of like well you're telling me that that kid needs or that that kid's more going to be more productive in society than mine and it, you know so so we gotta we gotta be a little bit more inclusive about our language, I think. So now it's uh, they categorize it by levels. There's level one, two, and three. Um, level one students need fewer supports generally in the classroom and at home. Whereas level three students need a little bit more. But again, it's a spectrum. You could have a level two kid who is highly verbal, very able to be in the classroom, and just needs some extra sensory needs and and regulation, you know, abilities. So it really depends on the kiddo. So I think we gotta be careful about that. Um, and then another thing that I didn't realize, like ADD, isn't a thing anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's different. Fill us in. It's, okay. Now what so is it? It's it's all ADHD. So there are three types of ADHD. Um, so so you can have one that has um, just like uh, just the attention. disorder. so we don't have the hyperactive component, right? So so we're used to to that being like an attention deficit you know, hyperactive, um, you can have a student who has both pieces, right? So the hyperactive or the impulsivity um, piece and the the attention piece. And then you can have one who just has the hyperactive and impulsivity, Um you know challenge. So so there are three levels within that too. So when you're talking to parents and they offer information, right? We at least need to be able to understand what they're saying to us and what that might mean, understanding that every student's different, right? So we're going to have to adapt as needed and and but at least be ready to approach whatever, you know,
0: And you avoid are. labels. Maybe it's levels instead of labels, but um yeah, I don't even like levels because everyone is no. different. It, no. Yeah.
1: No, no, and it's not like I I again, there have been many level two and level three students who who are are very capable uh, and, and enjoy being in a piano classroom right It's not yeah. um, it's not just because there's this yeah you know, so I, I kind of wonder if, if those are gonna go away, but of course, there has to be some sort of a medical you know category so that right. when're stealing insurance you, you, you have these True. these things. Um,
0: so you were telling me, uh, that you have consulted a lot of resources, but they were specific resources where you learned most of this from. So tell us a, a little bit about that.
1: Um, so one of the things that I, I know we've had this conversation before, which, you know, maybe this is a a atypical place to get, um, I don't know, teaching information. Uh, but when I first started teaching in the group classroom, I had no idea how to manage
0: <laughs> uh, neither did
1: i no I, I knew what they needed to learn i knew, mm-hmm. to, knew the order in which they needed to learn those things but i had no i and, and that's the most important part right like it's it, you're not going to yes. be able to get to the other things if you can't manage the students um so i actually started reading parenting books um and i remember the first one that i read uh was how to talk so little kids will listen um and and that taught me more about management I think than anything else um so you know I've done the same for 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 this and um or at least for for learning more about students who are maybe have some you know neurodiverse tendencies or maybe they have a disorder whatever the case might be um so in terms of anxiety like I know that we you know I mentioned that that fluster clucks um podcast and I I adore Mm -hmm. that one and and I think this summer she did um a puzzle piece, uh, version of that where there, are, I think there are seven puzzle pieces or things like that. And she, it's, it's this scaffolding kind of effect where you, where you, um, you know, we're going to start here by naming it. And now we're going to, you know, uh, so it's, it's geared towards parents, right. Who are, um, you know, maybe struggling with either anxiety themselves or with their kiddos. Um, but I think it's really useful for teachers too, to be able oh. to, See these things in their students, and and it gave me the language to talk yes. to my own students, right? Which I didn't have before. Um, so that was really helpful. The other thing that the other book, which I actually just recently got finished reading, um, that I found really helpful with anxiety is Scaffold Parenting. Uh, raising Resilient, Self-Reliant, and Secure Kids in the Age of Anxiety. And this is uh, written by the president of Child Mind Institute. If you are someone who has no familiarity at all with um, any of these disorders or just terminology or or what to look for, how to process it, Child Mind Institute is a really great place to go. Um, and And this book is, is written by the president of Child Mind Institute. Um, and one of the things that I really liked about this book in particular um, – you know, we do a lot of talk about scaffolding in education in general, right? So th- this is already like a concept that was really familiar um, to me, you know, in, in studying uh, Bruner and, and, you know, how we was scaffold within education. But this talks about how we can scaffold students to help them become less anxious, more self-confident, more self-efficacious students, right? Um, and and, and or kids, you know, if you're looking at it from the the parenting perspective, so it talks about three pi- or three pillars of scaffolding, and and one is structure, right? And so we always think about that within our, our um, lessons and our classes, right? What what is the structure of our lesson? How how are we going to you know lead the student towards success? Of course, we're going to use you know. Very specific directions. We're going to address many different learning modalities. We're going to do you know X, Y, and Z. Um, but that's the the first thing. Um, the second thing is the supports, or like kind of how you surround that student as they're going up through that process. Um, one of the things, and I, and I don't think it was from this book. Um, I I can't remember where it came from, but um, when we give feedback, sometimes we'll say something like. That was really good, but let's do it. You know, but, but, but
0: oh, I right? hear the but yeah. And then
1: And students with anxiety or, or any, you know, uh, any sort of self-confidence issues only hear that. They're no longer going to hear the thing that they did well. Right. So if you say like, you know, you did an excellent job playing with those dynamics and I really heard the layers there now. Let's try this, right? It feels like a different layer to them of diving deeper into that, that idea and doesn't attack any of the positive comments that you gave them. So it's, it's things like that ways to just sort of surround them with support to help them take those steps, right? If they're feeling super anxious about addressing a new piece, well, of course we break it down in chunks, right? We talk Mm -hmm. about how we learn it. We talk about how we practice it. We talk about all of those things so they can be successful. More successes, you know, their building gets higher, right? So they're, then our scaffolding gets higher Um, and then the third thing is encouragement and how we give that encouragement and as you know I, I think I think it's two things one it's encouraging those students to take risks so like we were talking about with the anxiety right if we don't have any a way of practicing the our, our our anxious energy our worry part right if we don't have a, a way to to kind of go through and be like okay these physical symptoms are going to happen now i know how to deal with it or you know i'm really worried about learning that new repertoire piece you're practicing the things that we feel like we maybe can't do um so so doing that in a way that's supportive to them but it's also making sure that we are giving very specific feedback again in terms of address in, in having it not be about them right we've got to separate the person from what they are doing mm-hmm. um so so the book gives a lot of different um just examples and layers of how to do those three pillars throughout um, you know a student's experience to, to kind of help them along the process so I learned a lot from that um the out of sync child which you you said this Terminology earlier, so I'm going to bet you've read this book. I have read that book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Is really, you know, a good one. The first chapter talks a lot about the different disorders, neurodiverse, um, you know, disorders that are out there. So that that's a really good place for some general information. Um, But it does a lot of talking about sort of the sensory diets and what students might need um, in the classroom if they are either sensory seekers or sensory avoiders. So I learned a lot about you know, how to, you know, which manipulatives to have around, or or ways to look for different triggers, right? Like, it, maybe the student needs to bring in their own pencil, because the way that, that my pencil feels, you know, or maybe they need to have a stuffed animal with them, or maybe they need to, you know, like, all of these different things to kind of help them through that process. So that, that was helpful. Um, for ASD, or autism spectrum, and if this isn't, this book, really helped me more to just learn how to approach students, I think, or just individuals in the, the, the community. Um, it's called uniquely human, a different way of seeing autism. Mm-hmm. And then of course there's the whole brain child and the yes brain and all of those, um, all of those books, um, that, that are really, you know, um, really good too. I like, uh, smart kids worry as well. Yeah, I had not heard of that one before. That's, Mm -hmm. Uh, that's a, that's a good one. Um, So I think that there are a lot of, a lot of um, options out there, right? Uh, For me, I, you know, tend to find the most information. Of course, I'm reading it now from a parent perspective and from a teaching perspective.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But I did that before I had kids too. And I found it very useful just in terms of you know my general education, we don't always talk about this stuff in pedagogy books, right? Like it's, it's no, not, we do not, not there. No. So you know we got we got to seek out other other resources, and and sometimes um, the general education field is just a little bit ahead of where we are in the music world.
0: Um, so Definitely kind
1: of like search. Um, so so that's always a good place to look. I think.
0: Well, that, that is an extensive list and we'll make sure that we have all of the links to those books in the show notes. So I will revisit you. You can always just take a picture of it for me and, (laughs) and then I'll make sure I get them. So this has been so enlightening in so many ways. So thank you so much, Emily, for sharing your vast knowledge. And it has come over a number of years. But you talk like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> well,
1: it's, it's a journey for all of us, right? There's, there's a million more things to learn. But if I can help one teacher out there kind of understand one of these, you know, disorders or aspects or just different places to go, right? And my experience is not going to be everybody else's experience, right? All, all students are different. All people are different. And uh, we've got to really make sure that we're being inclusive in the way that we address this, I think.
0: Mm, I think so, too. And I think you have... Uh, made us aware of the fact that all of us are in the same boat we are experiencing a lot of what you're talking about in our studios you know no one is um going to be what am I trying to say no one is everyone is going to experience an encounter right with someone struggling somewhere So we are not alone in this at all. So thank you so much for sharing that. So before we leave, can you give us a favorite quote?
1: Yeah. So the one that I, you know, um, I think I say this weekly with my adult group classes (laughs) is we learn from failure, not from success. Mm -hmm. And I don't know who said that. I think, you know, when I looked it up, it it said anonymous. Um, But I, we get so wrapped up in everything being perfect and and only having like achievements or successes in life, I think, right? And we learn so much more from those practice sessions where something didn't go right. Um, than we do when everything goes right. Um, so I, it, and as a teacher too, right. When we teach a class and we think it's going to go one way or a lesson and it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything other than we just got to reframe it and, and learn from that experience and come back at it a different way the next time. Um, and we'll know more the next time around. So it's, it's just, you know, I, I think we got to get a little bit more comfortable with failure.
0: Mm, I like that one. I often think mistakes are information. And so, and, and that's what I look at if I am leading a group class, like, how did it go? Oop, there's a little flag there. Oop, there's another one, you know, and, but not, not being self-judging as, as just, okay, that was information. Okay. What am I going to do next time to avoid that? Right. So, oh, Emily. Okay. We could go on and on and on, but I think we should stop. Don't you have to teach in a few minutes? Yeah. (laughs) So thank you so much for joining us. According to Emily, we didn't even scratch the surface of this topic of neurodivergence. There's so much more to discuss. I'm hoping that you've taken away plenty from the episodes that will help you understand what neurodiversity is and how we teachers can be prepared for someone who shows unique patterns in learning. In fact, experts in the field state that learning about neurodiversity can help you, can help us move the focus from impairments towards everyone's different abilities. Perhaps this episode has helped you shift your perspective on that class clown or that quiet, timid student. Perhaps you learned a little more about yourself and your own behaviors. Perhaps our chat has you thinking about certain adult students, colleagues, and friends who exhibit neurodivergent behaviors and learn differently. It's my hope that Emily has given you some general guidance and even specific solutions for the very next brain who walks in the door and warms your bench at the keys. Don't forget to head to the show notes for links to all the resources Emily mentioned and many more. And also look for the link to grab your free studio license copy of Wendy's cool piece, The Bold Escape. Remember to use key ideas, all one word and no caps when checking out. A huge thank you to Emily for her time, expertise, and transparent reflections, and to Wendy for supporting Key Ideas. And another big shout out to you, faithful listeners. I know your time is valuable, and so I appreciate your support and for sharing Key Ideas episodes with your friends. I'm Leela Viss. See you in the trenches, keeping in mind that everyone is uniquely human.